Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Market and the Good. My name is Chris Gassman. I'm your host today. And today we have a special crossover edition from a project that we're doing in collaboration with Isaac Life, as well as Dagan Bora from Leyline. We're putting together some leadership and turnaround precedents guidance and inspiration for these days that we find ourselves in. I would encourage you to check it out. Very applicable for uh, today's ISEC network, and we thought that it might be helpful for just all of humans out there. If you're interested in learning more about ISEC life and engaging with ISEC, go to iseclife.org. That's A-I-E-S-E-C, life.org. Thanks all. Take care and catch you on the next episode. Most of you know me. Uh, my name is Dagan Bora. I was at ISEC alum, Oregon. Uh, I'm the, you can see I'm the CEO and president of Leyline Corporation. Uh, Chris here is one of our advisors. Um, we started this project because we wanted to give back some intelligence uh, from what we'd been through. Uh, and we knew that others had been through um, during different recessions. To the, uh, to the people that are entering the workforce in the wake of this one, as well as to any alumni that are out there job hunting or taking on additional responsibilities. Um, and then to the leaders that are, are making, uh, you know, critical business decisions um, it, that could mean, uh, you know, someone's life changes. Um, Vitor, I've, I've known for a long time, uh, I went to an expros one year and Vitor told me that Recife was like the Venice of the North. So I said I had to go. And uh, they meant learning Portuguese and falling in love with a different country and really understanding my Americanism better than I would have otherwise. Um, and I cried when I left. So uh, I'm really happy that we're, we're able to do this interview. Just a couple of things um, before we get started uh, about the turnaround precedents um, cast. It's an open co concept uh, podcast format, as long as it's sticking around the, the topics of turnarounds. Uh, you know, uh, this is a series I would have liked to watch before I graduated in the spring 2009. Um, we're going to explore difficult lessons learned, decisions, and best case practices from a variety of perspectives over 10 interviews, 30 minutes in length each. We're going to have a lot of really amazing um, individuals. Uh, onto the podcast by the time we're done. Um, Chris is the uh, host of The Market and the Good as well. There's a lot of really great seven minutes uh, clips um, on his uh, website, which is uh, shared with everyone who's, who's on this meeting. Um, beyond that, some basic guidelines as eventually we'd like to hand this thing off and, and let other people um, you know, take it where, wherever it needs to go. Uh, as a guest to be on the show, you must have set a precedent and part of a team that set one or accomplished or influenced a turnaround. Um, so just a rough definition, uh, a turnaround is a leadership accomplishment where the principal responsible takes control or has control during a time of crisis or decreased performance and returns the company to a profitable state and or a state of reduced vulnerability. More procedurally, you can think about it when you take a plant offline, you need to do maintenance and engage in a lot of different startup um, activities to restore that fully functioning plant to operations. Um, running a company, uh, you know, whether it's in a cash poor environment or one with the situation where you have work from home and sudden challenges, 
you know, we want to examine those decisions and, and find out what, what constitutes them um, so that we can understand better what, what the lessons are. So very briefly, let's get back to it. Um, just picking up in 2010, uh, I'm going to give you a brief uh, overview of by way of introducing Vitor. Um, this guy was the president in uh, Canada, the first one in their 50-year history um, in, from 2010 uh, to June 2011. Really, really cool. Um, after that, back to Brazil, spending time at Ampliar Engineeria LTDA for six years. Um, he, he's going to tell you about some of the, the highlights of those accomplishments. Um, after that, taking another role in, in Brazil. Uh, before joining Deloitte briefly in Canada, um, going through some immigration uh, requirements, and, and now um, you know being the uh, uh, senior management consultant for People and Change at KPMG. Uh, you know we spoke briefly before the interview um, about uh, that time at Ampliar Engineeria about a period where, where layoffs needed to be made. We're going to be digging into that a little bit. Um, and uh, then I, I'm, I'm interested in particular um, about your experience with those uh, uh, working with situations where you either had to lay employees off um, and what you learned from those conversations and then also being on the flip side of the coin where you're coming in with a skill set um, and, and applying to a lot of strategic, uh, to you, strategic um, employers. And, and what that process was like for um, you know people that are also in a similar position, and, and what any uh, you know um, insights you have uh, into it uh, could be offered. But with that, I'm going to leave it up to Chris to actually ask you the questions, and I'm going to uh, do do my thing and just listen here and, and maybe type some things in and and talk to you again at the end. Chris has a hard stop at well in 17 minutes. Um, but we are okay to run over by a few minutes. He'll just have to hop off. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Take it away. Excellent. Thank you, David. And if uh, folks keep showing up on the uh, the waiting room, um, you'll see those on on your side. So, Bjork, thank you again so much for for joining us and the the rest of the the folks who are currently on the line and those who can learn from your experience here after. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't start off a, an ISEC conversation, uh, something about the ISEC values, right? So living sustainably, acting sustainably. Uh, we, that, that word sustainably has become a, a big thing buzz these days and it's kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, especially there's, there's talk during turnaround times, challenging times, uh, they're like, hey, that's not what we need to be focused on. We need to be focused on something else. And then I know um, in ISEC, we, we focus on this is how we accomplish things, right? We, we act sustainably or any pick any of the other values that that helps carry us through those tough times. Um, or at least in general, that, that had been my experience. The values were, were there even during, particularly there during the tough times. I don't know if for you during uh, any of the, the times that Dagan had mentioned um, where you faced organization that was pivoting through some things or inherited an organization through a pivot, um, did you see the values really coming through at that point, uh, or was it, nah, Chris, values, that's, that's, that's hippie stuff, that's for another time. How did values play into that and, and the whole idea of like, acting sustainably? That's a good question, Chris. Thanks for asking that. Um, at the time, uh, when I look back, I can see it more clearly than I see it now. 
oh sorry now i see clearer than i used to see back in the days like it's so hard for you to uh dot the i's and cross the t's when you're talking about acting sustainably right so you like what comes to mind when you talk about acting sustainably so i try to to anchor myself in the three p's like people profit and planet um Amplia Ingenieria is a is a construction company, and ultimately, like the kind of work that we would do that would impact the planet would be, uh, it's more like recycling and the kind of uh, the material that it's being uh, deployed. But the profit and the people during a crisis are the two components that stood out the most to me, because I knew every employee by their name their names pretty much. I was managing change over six years in that company. So I had to meet uh, pretty much everyone in the company uh, individually pretty much. So I knew them by names. I knew uh, how important that job was to every single one of them. But I also knew that if the company wasn't afloat, uh, we wouldn't be able to keep paying for, for, for their salaries, right? So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge dilemma that strikes you when you are uh, going through a crisis because you want to keep acting sustainably you want to sustain the jobs you want to keep uh the profit going on but at the same time you have to make a decision you have to rebalance things out and uh, other uh capabilities and competencies that we've learned throughout our exec experience came in very handy to uh to work things around Right, so a lot of stakeholder management, Definitely. right? So toggling different layers, different levers. Yes, for sure. So get thinking along those lines before digging a little bit deeper. You, know, you talked already about um, from the perspective of you know, the employer, right? So the, the team leader, uh, whichever layer, whichever way you want to describe the hats and in that kind of a, a tough situation or a turnaround situation. Um, can you unpack that a little bit, especially if if you've tried to do those things and you've tried to be a, a good people leader and really get to know your people, you know, when it gets to the point of having those hard conversations, like, you know, we, we don't have the resources to keep the whole family together, right? We do need to let X number go or X percentage go, right? Uh, uh, especially in a in a world where there's already 20 million, uh, at least just in the US who are now unemployed, right? So uh, how is that for, for folks thinking, all right, ah, uh, that might be me being unemployed, you know, the, the one receiving the unemployment notice, but from the, the leader perspective doing that, what was that like for you? What, what lessons um, looking back to you think like, yeah, this, this was a valuable thing for me. I'm, I'm really glad I did it this way or in hindsight, probably not the best way, but like I learned that because yeah. of that experience. Sure. I, that let me just uh, provide you with some context. Uh, when I joined this firm, um, I was joining because uh, they wanted me to manage growth. We expected to triple the size of the business in, within two years. And I was there to make sure that we were nimble, we're adaptable, we were able to to share resources, to like redefine our culture, uh, to make sure that we were um, like all aligned, to make sure that we're growing. And then three, four years in this into this role, the economic crisis hit Brazil. So all the investment that the government made in in infrastructure didn't pay back. So where did the money go? And uh, our clients were retailers. 
So Tommy, um, uh, uh, Sunglass Hut, I can, I can name other few international brands that were our clients. And all of a sudden, economy wasn't thriving, therefore retailers were suffering. And we're not like, we have multiple clients, we have a few clients and we maintain the relationship with them and we keep building for them. So all of a sudden, it was a massive shortage of, of work for us to deliver. So you're like, well, externally, this is how it's going, but you're like attached to your build dream team. You're delivering like amazing results. And you, we were clinging to that dream. We we're clinging to the golden days and we wanted that back. And we're like, no, 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 no. It's going to work out. Let's keep working hard. It's going to work out. We did not want to make the right, like the tough decisions. And we suffered. I would go home every day. I would feel bad because uh, at the, in the back of my head, I knew that the scenario wasn't getting any better and we would have to make these decisions. We'd have to have the tough conversations. And having the leaders in the same mindset was the first thing that we had to do. And one massive learning experience for me was make the tough decisions fast. One, it preserves you and the leaders from suffering through this process because as a leader, uh, the employee there that's either leaving the firm or staying, there isn't much empathy in the sense that we're also suffering as we have to let these folks go. We're also suffering because uh, we made a huge investment and we're having to let go. Reducing the size of your business and your operations, it's painful, it's, it, it's a humbling process. So make this decision as fast as you can. Second thing, communicate. Uh, we underestimate how employees take ownership on our businesses. We underestimate how employees are emotionally invested. Job security is a big thing, but they also want to, to feel that, yes, this is going to work out. At the end, we'll all be fine. Everything's going to work out. So communicate, manage this change, manage this crisis. And sometimes, yes, it takes hard conversations. Sometimes it's about making not necessarily empty promises, but guiding them through the, the uncertainty, the volatility, right? And let them know, like, you're also part of this. This is a learning experience for you just as much as it is for me. And we'll keep you posted as soon as we can, as much as we can. But right now, these are the decisions that had to be taken. We'll, we'll revisit this later and we will communicate. So. You have to manage different layers differently. With the leadership, makes make the decisions fast, take the actions fast. With the, with the, with employees, make sure that they're like comforted, that they're informed fast, because the gossip spreads faster than you can imagine. And you, you got to keep the morale up, right? And you have to keep updating your forecasts on a daily basis. That builds up a lot of anxiety, but you got to trust the data. If you can trust your data, if you can trust your pipeline, uh, it's just a matter of time for you to, to hit a bigger roadblock and uh, uh, it's not going to look good. So from one side, yes, you have to stay positive. You have to, uh, to build the resilience. You have to be the one that is, that's the kind of leader that's just like, 
now this is the time for me to stand out, to walk in front of the, the crowd, not necessarily empowering them, but the kind of leader that will bring comfort and reassurance. Yeah. I think that's something that um, each of those can be very applicable for situations in general, I think in particular today, especially the idea of like, hey, let's, we just got to communicate, right? You and I, everyone in our team, no one's here has probably been through a pandemic before. These are our first times going through a pandemic together. So let's, we don't have the perfect answer. We, we know that. Let's, let's figure it out, right? Um, so I, I think that goes a long way. Just again, that, that transparency and that candor um, and good thinking for, uh, for how to do that on the, the leader side, um, you teed it up a, a little bit of having those, uh, those tough conversations with employees. What does that tough conversation look like? Um, what are our key things that when you're going into those exit conversations as, as the team leader who you've tried to build this really great relationship with this really great team, how do you have that exit conversation in a way that you can sleep with yourself at night or that you're doing well by them? So, from one side, there is the fact that you have to take care of yourself. You have to reassure uh, yourself that you're not doing this because you're a mean person, because you're, you don't care, or because uh, you think that you just you just think of the profit. You, you, you don't care about the, the people side of the sustainability, right? So don't, don't put so much um, of the responsibility in your plate. Uh, you're carrying the message. Um, and so first, just, you have to be in peace with yourself. Yes, it's going to be painful, but it needs to be, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, you're probably on the leadership position because you have the right capabilities to do so. And it's probably a capability that you haven't exercised as much. So that's the first thing. The second one is the emotional involvement can make it more painful for everyone. So at the same time that you have to um, draw the line to what is rational, what is emotional, what is not, you have to bring that mindset to the conversation. Because if you're not in a good place when you're talking to the person, that person is not going to be in a better place than you are. So just make it very clear, like, these are circumstances. They're not leaving the firm. They're not being laid off because they're not good enough or because uh, they have poor performance or because of who they are. It's just the circumstances. And if it is true that you would call them back as soon as you have the opportunity or help them finding a, look, uh, a new position, uh, stick to your word, like say it, help, like multiple, multiple employees. I, I was heartbroken to, to sit down and have the conversation. But after maybe three, four weeks, this person had a new job. And I was like, why did I suffer so much? Actually, I should have had this conversation earlier because they found a job, their life were great. And I made my, I made my life miserable for weeks. And other people I was able to help finding other uh, jobs and other people, I called them back. Other people, I helped them creating their own firms, so they become they became a firm that we're we're outsourcing from. So there are multiple ways out. You're not there to coach them uh, through their way out, but if you really care about these people, 
you, you, you have more, and if they want your opinion, okay, because bear in mind, I'm coming from a, a Latino experience and there is more personal involvement. Uh, in North America, the feeling that I get is more like, hey, here's the message and here's what's going on. And of course, you don't have to say half the words that I just said. Um, but uh, from one side, you can, if you really emotionally attach to the person that you're having to let go, yeah, just just uh, make sure that you draw the line and uh, reassure them that this is more of an environmental situation rather than uh, sorry, circumstantial situation rather than a performance one, and that they will thrive. Sorry, you're in mute. Thank you. Thought I'd toggle that off. Uh, oh, modern tech. Uh, so you you teed it up a little bit there, Victor. The uh, the the applications, right? The the moving on from the exit to uh, to the next gig. Uh, and this will be my last one, as uh, Dagan mentioned, I'll, I'll pass the baton back to him, but just to tee up the, this branch of the conversation. Um, you know, after, because I think you went on to some other organizations, some next roles after uh, that time, after having to manage those kinds of exits, how did that change your thinking on applying to other opportunities? Right? Did that change the way that you looked at an application or the way that you interacted with your team lead or with your leaders in general? How did that, how did that experience affect you as, as the incomer? That's, that's a very interesting question because I, I was in a position that I was, I was a leader. I was probably the second or third person in the firm. And I had a lot of power, I had a lot of influence, but I, I didn't have necessarily someone that I would report to uh, per se and I decided to to move on um, we found we found a way of uh, restructuring the firm they're successful on that and then I was like that's it I've had my time here we've grown we've decreased size now I want to learn from other people I think that I'm too young to be in such uh, in such role for now and I want to learn from other folks so um, but I was a bit lost because I was doing a bit of everything, right? And then I decided that I wanted to, to help organizations uh, thrive through similar scenarios, not only managing growth, but managing change, managing digital transformations, managing crisis, and thriving at the end. And so I took uh, some time to go back to school and figure out how exactly I wanted to do that. What kind of bias I would uh, I would approach this this career, and I think that I ended up falling in love with the org design component, and uh, it opened a new a new window for me. So it's a it's a new approach. It's much more structured. It's larger like it's it's larger corporations that I'm dealing with now. The level of bureaucracy is much bigger um, and the kind of leadership is not necessarily like as close as as it is when you're talking about a 100 people organization so all these has been uh, great for me to adapt um, in terms of a new setting and a new culture to to perform this kind of tasks 
Um, so right now, I'd say that I am thrilled to to help establishing center of excellences, uh, repurposing jobs and roles. So people, okay, we we've implemented automation. A bunch of these roles would be obsolete. And now they're not going to be anymore because we're repurposing these jobs, we're giving them this kind of training, and now they can take on a more challenging role. So I kind of found a middle ground between managing growth, but also managing this kind of crisis. And um, um, this is actually like, it's been, I'm still thrilled about it, but let's see how, how it's going to end up looking for me. Uh, yeah, just, just, a, just one note. Um, we started talking about Isaac and I think it's fair to wrap it up talking about Isaac and I remember uh, back in my days when I had some some of my friends that they were already working with corporations while I was doing uh, work with Isaac um, as a volunteer they were making money I was not making money and I would hear like many kinds of jokes and people discouraging me to to continue doing the work that I was doing. Um, it was the best investment I could make in my career, uh, not only because it helped me shaping as a, as a human being, uh, it gave me my best friends. They're still my best friend nowadays. And uh, everything that I've learned uh, during this time, it definitely accelerated me and gave me the capabilities to deliver much more work uh, in terms of quantity and quality um, than someone um, with my age. Uh, so it was a great acceleration. It was a platform for me to actually uh, do much more in a short period of time. Like with the age of 28, uh, managing an organization of 100 plus, going through an economic turmoil, I was only able to do that because of my Isaac experience. And I definitely encourage you, if you don't know if this is worth or not, uh, your Isaac experience depends much more on what you invest and what you do than uh, what others tell you to do or how to do. So own your experience, and uh, I'm sure you're gonna get you're gonna harvest a lot from it from from everything that you you're investing now. There you have it. Thanks, Vitor, for coming on Turnaround Presidents. Everyone else, thank you for attending and staying over the time. The recording will be made available shortly uh, once some small edits are made. Uh, and uh, again, if there's any other questions, Vitor is um, open to connecting on LinkedIn and talking to you further. So uh, thanks again. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Vitor, how do you respond to the question, why me, if the layoff was circumstantial and not performance driven? So in, uh, in my situation, when I had to, to mention that, so from one, I think that the most logical approach and how you, you approach this kind of decision, to be honest, would be based on capacity. So what is, how much work do I, how much work do I need, or how much work do I have to, to be, prepared for for the next um, months or weeks, depending on, on how your timeline looks like. And how, like, what kind of people do I have in the house? So if you say, well, I need 10 people to do this activity, and right now we have 15 
uh, this would be one criteria. The other one would be based on tenure or based on uh, what, whatever other criteria you decide to bring on. Um, of course, you need to find the right balance between being candid, uh, but also not necessarily disclosing every single detail about what we looked into into performance and you, you had the lowest performance, right? So from one side, capacity is, is usually the approach I've taken in the past, capacity planning, and uh, in terms of workforce, uh, it, it just wouldn't make sense to keep the amount of people for that specific function. Uh, you can you can bring up skills as well, so other people would have uh, a more complete skill set that would be able to perform uh, the job for two people as capacity has been decreased, and uh, that, that would be another reason. So workforce planning, capacity, and the other one would be a capability. Vitor, a question from Maggie. How did you find the cultural shift from living in Brazil to Toronto, Canada? Um, I could approach this question in many different ways. Uh, I'd say that um, getting getting in a position in Canada was challenging for me in the beginning because in Brazil, if you have multiple skills that are different, like uh, I know finance, I know marketing, I know HR, so that is that is a plus because that means I can I can be flexible and adaptable. Whereas here in Canada, people are very much risk averse. So if this is an HR function, I need to be the HR guy, uh, or I need to be the finance guy. It doesn't matter if you have any uh, operations experience, this is a finance position, it's not gonna make any difference. So adjusting this mindset and how I was conveying my experiences, my resume was the first thing. And how that translates in, into work, in the day-to-day -day, um, has also been a, an adaptation. Uh, another thing that I've noticed is um, I feel that here in Canada work is more structured. So you plan, you have the time to plan, uh, you usually have the right time to deliver the work, and you do your nine-to-five kind of thing. Whereas in Brazil we we don't plan as much. And whenever I would have meetings in Brazil to plan the work and, and plan for the next steps and plan for the changes, people would find it weird and sometimes unnecessary and would feel impatient. Um, so Brazil is more on the go and more agile in that sense. Whereas here, unless you're working with technology, even within the technology sector, you still feel that I still feel that people need more structure and um, there is a bigger fear of making mistakes in Canada than in Brazil. The fear of failure and how that would impact their personal brands. Uh, so I think that it hinders a little bit uh, conversations and, uh, and uh, innovation to a certain extent. So risk is a big thing in Canada, that's for sure. Vitor, uh, speaking of um, the recent experience in Canada, just so we can get some numbers so people have an idea what kind of work effort is involved in uh, securing a, a, a favorable role that you like with a good company. Um, how many months 
uh, went into this process? How much in, was it a full-time job every week? How many, how many companies did you initially select? How many interviews at each company? How many rejections along the way? sense thanks for the question it's not a glorious answer to um to provide you but happily with a happy ending um so after i learned that i needed to be the specialist i need to be the person that will do whatever i do now um i hit this roadblock and i was like but what do i want to do because i cannot customize my resume my linkedin um uh, to every single position that I see and I find that would be interesting or that that could be some fit. So go for coffee chats first, go for coffee chats, go talk to people in the market, ask questions. Uh, don't beat around the bush. I think the most amazing people that I've met for coffee recently are those that they're not scared of asking the questions. Don't, don't go to these meetings just asking, uh, how, is, how is your day like? Or, what do you like most about your job? Be thoughtful, like really do your research before and ask questions. So, um, so Vito, you, you work with org design. I don't see this as much, but this is what I found. And this is what I imagine. Does it make sense? Uh, what else can you add to, to the way I perceive things? Can you, can you help me imagine what are the skills or how the day looks like? Uh, if I were in a client engagement. So like try to, to do your homework first about whoever you're meeting and try to take the questions to the next level. So you can actually get a good sense of what this career would look like. So um, as soon as you find a couple of options that you'd like, yeah, this sounds like something that I would be really keen. Uh, so for instance, I, I decided that org design and change management were two of the things that I've enjoyed doing the most. Um, the second thing, that the next thing would be, once I've learned that the concept of what you're good at and what you're not good at is not necessarily what you succeed at doing and what you're, you fail at. It's more, at the end of the day, as you're doing a certain activity, how do you feel? Do you feel empowered? Can you still talk about it? Or do you feel drained? even though you succeeded. If you're feeling drained, in the long run, that's gonna consume you and you're gonna burn out. But if you're still excited about it, that, that's a good sign. So uh, using that rule of thumb helped me a lot to figure out, yes, I, I did amazing work in finance. I got global awards from PwC. I was managing budgets that were uh, over seven, seven million, uh, which would be like 3, 000, 3 million US at the time. And I was doing amazing in finance, but I was never too excited about it. And at the end of the day, I wasn't really happy doing that. And then I completely tossed my finance, my, my, my finance career away and I decided to focus on the organizational aspect. Um, the next thing is you have to have a story. So what is your story? It doesn't matter if you don't work with change management or org design, but in the experiences you've had, how do they relate to change management and org design and how your life uh, um, converged to like your life experience? How do they converge to, to making you feel that you, you can be good at it, that you can be excited about it? 
Um, and then you start building your network in this area. Uh, open your mind. It's some, sometimes the, the most glorious comp, like brands for, comp, for, for, for firms to work for, they might not provide you with the best experiences. So open your mind. Some, like, after I've learned, in the beginning, I thought only uh, big four or major consulting groups would do org design and change management. Well, other firms do that as well. I've learned that quite late in the game, but not that I, like, I love the firm that I work for. I love the kind of work that I do for. Later on, if I decide to someday move on from consulting, I want to keep doing the same thing. And I've learned that this position exists in the market. So learn about the industry, learn about um, the non-obvious uh, pathways you can, you can go for. Um, so yeah, tell your story, meet people, apply for these positions. But when crisis comes, um, you have to make sure that your network is still active. Uh, when if the economy is good, it needs to be active. If the economy is not doing so well, it still needs to be active because good people are always needed. And uh, at least here in Canada, as I mentioned, like the fact that people are quite risk averse. Um, I've noticed that if you know someone or if there's someone that can refer you, uh, your chances are increased by a like a thousand fold. So keep up with your with your networking. It doesn't matter if the person that you met in, in marketing uh, is not sitting in change management, of course, but this this person in marketing that you met in the past, maybe can refer you to someone else. So I think it was a long answer. So let me just try to summarize it. So first of all, figure out what makes your, your eyes shine at the end of the day. Uh, make sure that you're able to tell a very compelling story about how you fit in this, this industry. Do your homework, go for coffee, and uh, make sure that you keep your, your network alive and explore the industry. Vitar uh, and everyone on the call, I talking about eyes shining being at the end of the day um, I'm, I'm happy and grateful to spend it with you all uh, i think we should uh close it down here as we schedule 30 minutes and have run a bit over and that the people on the call have gotten value and don't have any burning questions but if they do vitor um will you be uh open if people would like to reach out absolutely absolutely uh feel free to reach out on, on linkedin uh shoot a message um I can I can stick around for another 10, 15 minutes in, in the call if anyone wants to to stay and chat. Yeah. Uh, but uh, thank you very much for for having me. Uh, it's always good to be connected with with Isaac uh, alumni or or current members. Um, it helped shaping my life and my my professional and, and personal life. And uh, always happy to give back. Yeah, it's. It, it, I, I'm, I'm glad we had the chance to do this. Uh, you know, I, I personally spent a couple of years in ISEC and always went to those sessions where they were talking about how you have to go abroad before you understand your ISEC experience. Uh, you know, Vitor has created exchanges. Um, that's meaningful. And uh, I hope that we can um, find ways to engage more students and help them understand uh, also who the people are in the network because as you said, when recession comes, it helps to know someone. And if you already have similar values, it's easy to start a conversation, especially if everyone's working from home and looking for some potential distraction from their day or just to do that and achieve you know, some of the milestones that they have for themselves.
Um, I, I guess uh, I I can open it to the floor and and um, if, if I'll turn the recording off um, so we can chat freely. But if you have a, a question, raise a hand, drop it into the group chat here. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, we can range a little bit. <clears throat> 